0: I'm your host, Vic Choksi, and this is Victory Lap. The premise behind Victory Lap is simple. It's to have on luminaries from the sports, entertainment, and media worlds to talk about their journey and most notably one victory that helped them reach their goal. On today's episode, I speak with Dave Setti, the head of Instagram Sports. Dave's had a non-linear road to one of the most prestigious and sought-after jobs in all of sports, so I'm excited to chat with him today about his journey. Without further ado, Dave, welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be doing this on a Friday. feels a little more relaxed, uh, not too hectic, so a nice way to end the week.
0: Yes, sir. So, you know, you got an amazing journey. I'm excited to have you on and talk about it, but before we get to your current role as head of Instagram sports let's go back in time a little bit let's talk about your passion for sports man I know you're a big football fan big college football fan you grew up in the DMV area so where'd you fall in love with the game who were some of your favorite squads or players growing up just kind of kicking it over to you for that
1: yeah yeah so from the DC area I've been a, a lifetime and like you know long-suffering Washington area sports fan so the Washington football team the Bullets and Wizards less so the less of so the caps. I'm not as big of a hockey fan and then the Baltimore Orioles. So I, I don't even pretend to be a Washington Nationals fan at, at heart because the Orioles have been my squad uh, since, since I was a kid. And then randomly uh, was a, a huge Notre Dame fan growing up. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't the football and watching them on TV every Saturday, but grew up leading blue and gold. And so, uh, so yeah, it's definitely even part of this journey that we're going to talk about. It's
0: crazy that you bring that up, man. Cause again, I'm from Chicago and it is insane how many people here grew up big Notre Dame football fans. Cause that was literally on TV every Saturday. Like my brother-in-law is like you diehard Notre Dame fan literally because of that. And I know like a hundred other people, I went to Marquette. So like big Irish community and they all love Notre Dame. So talk to me about college. So like when the opportunity to go to Notre Dame came up, is it because you just love them as a kid, like, and their football squad or how did that come about? How did the East coast kid end up at Notre Dame?
1: Again, a lifelong fandom for the for the university and, and its sports teams, but it was probably around ninth or tenth grade, tenth grade, when I realized, oh, it's actually a great academic institution, and if I ever have any hope or dream or prayer of attending there, I better get my shit together and uh, become a better student because I was not at my finest earlier in high school. By the skin in my teeth, like waitlisted twice, finally got in in uh, in late spring of late spring, and I remember you know talking to my parents uh, I'm I'm Indian my parents are both we're both from India and we had a conversation and they said so Dave your school that you want to attend is 90% white you're not white it's 90% catholic you're not catholic so why the hell do you want to go here again and you know there was this 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 passion i had for the university having never been there before but uh having uh, this this fandom and this and even this curiosity about the institution and being able to actually have the opportunity to go there, but never having been and really only seeing it from afar. And so actually, it was crazy as my my father insisted on putting me on a flight, really four flights in one day to go visit the school for a day. And he said, you know, if you really want to go here, you'll you'll know when you get there. Yeah. And so and so I went there, literally spent a day on campus taking tours and soaking up the atmosphere Flew back that night and then made my decision. And uh, what was also wild, and you'll appreciate this, uh, talking to a fellow Brown man, this was in 2002, you know, not that long after 9-11. And on the four flights that I took that one day, I got, so this is back when they would pull you out of line at the gate to security check you in addition to when you entered the airport, three random. out of the four flights. Random. Yeah, yeah, the random selection, you know, yeah. batted 75, uh, 750 that day. And, and it was fine. Like I I actually, I, I didn't have any issue with that at the time, but, but just wild story. Uh, and yeah, and, and graduated from the University of Notre Dame. So there you go.
0: Talk to me a little bit about your post-college career thoughts, right? Like, so you're one of those guys that, you have a great job, a leadership role in sports right now, but you didn't start in sports right out of college, right? You went the tech route, you went out to the West coast. So how did that come about? Did you want to work in sports your whole life or, you know, what was your mindset when you were leaving college basically?
1: Yeah, I had no aspirations of working in sports. I was always a, a fan as, as I've mentioned, but never had any real dream of being a professional within the sports industry. And so my first job out of college, I moved to the, to California, to, to work in tech and work on the sales side at Google. And this is 2007, I really had no idea what that even meant, but, um, but got my footing in Silicon Valley out there and learned uh, a lot about the industry that I'm in right now, but from a very different lens uh, and different yep. perspective and view uh, back then. And, and was in that role for almost four years before moving to YouTube. But this is back in 2011 to focus on content partnerships with sports. But I like to tell folks, uh, whoever inquire about, you know, this very weird journey that I'm on, that it, it didn't, st- it, it hasn't been linear in the sense of starting in sports, continuing in sports, continuing to be in sports. Uh, you know, I went through a side door basically, uh, in order to get my footing here.
0: It's crazy how much the landscape and the internet itself has changed since you worked those two jobs. Right. But a lot of the the things that you picked up at those two places, you were able to then translate literally into your new roles, right? So how did that next role come about from moving from YouTube and then kind of side dooring your way into sports there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, with YouTube and sports, I mean, this is again, early 2010s when there was, I would say some debate, but you know there was still the conversations about what is the value of YouTube to organizations in and outside of sports not just the sports vertical and so it's a very different time to be having to be having those conversations but you know as as i mentioned working for Google and YouTube for that long there came a point when i thought to myself that again working in sports but in a very specific part of it that i really wanted to to almost learn more about the industry that I was participating in, but do it from a different perspective and really cultivate my own perspective on this industry. And that's what led me to, to leaving YouTube and being on sort of that side of the aisle, the platform side of the aisle to go around to the other side and working at a media company. And that's when I, when I started working at at, uh, at whistle sports back in 2013 was to really embrace what it meant to be a publisher an organization, a media company, uh, within the world of sports, and also in this world of digital and
0: social. Yep, and and Whistle's doing well now, and they they've always been doing well in the content part of things. What did, what was your role there when you headed over?
1: Yeah, I, my role was to head up partnerships and operations. And and for those who don't know, you know Whistle, I, I've generally described it as sort of a three pronged business. One is B two C brands, so producing original content, following them on social, engaging their fans across sports. The second is this networking collective. Of content creators and organizations that Whistle was in partnership with, and that's the group that I oversaw um, working with organizations like the Vancouver Canucks or the Harlem Globetrotters, but also uh, individuals like Giannis, back when he was launching a YouTube channel back in the day, and Dude Perfect, you know, one of the biggest sports creator creator group on on earth by far. Uh, so working with them in partnership around things like production, social content strategy, etc. So that was the part that I oversaw for a couple of years when Whistle was much more a startup than it is today.
0: So before we move on, how amazing is that Giannis story? Like to me, <laughs> that's just one of the all-time great athlete stories of all time, man. So that's really cool that I saw well, the pictures you guys posted of like your interactions with him back then, which is amazing.
1: No, yeah. oh, it's yeah, it's incredible to see you know someone grow up uh, in the public lens the way he has uh, from where he was to where physically and emotionally. Right? I mean, the way that all the pictures that have uh, that have surfaced that is one of the neat things about. Uh, about this industry and about being a sports fan in general right I'm I was definitely pulling for him to win I'm glad the Bucks won so uh yeah it's great great NBA final series
0: yeah that was great well heading back to your career track a little bit so you were at Whistle for a little bit and then you made the jump to then move over to Complex right and so how did that come about what were you you know were you doing a similar role there was that a little bit different
1: Yeah, so to make the the story even weirder, I guess, you know, having actually not only left sports, but left the the world of work entirely. So I'd taken most of 2016 off to be down with family and and travel and really focus on myself. And then I moved back to New York at the end of 16 to work at Complex, uh, which had become Complex Networks. I joined a few months after they were acquired by Verizon and Hearst and a media in a media venture and Complex Networks was born out of that. So they had been acquired and Rich Antonello, the CEO of Complex, uh, he and I had spoken in and he offered for me to be the company's first chief of staff, which is as ambiguous as my current title, but, uh, but in a nutshell is uh, really a front office role focusing on strategy and operations. And so really fascinating uh, experience working there an incredible experience, but also at a different part of a company's life cycle than I had been before. Having worked at a big tech company and then having worked at a startup.
0: Yep. and at that time when you were brought on, they had just raised money, right? So you your goal was literally to like take them to the next level, essentially.
1: To me, at that point of Complex's uh, life cycle, I would describe it as this is going to be kind of I don't say unfair, but to use a sports analogy, sort of like taking company from JV to varsity. And, sure. and I feel like I've, I had a very, very small role to play in that, but it was really interesting to be at a company that post acquisition, where there is a sense of celebration of what's been accomplished, but also a sense of, of energy and, uh, and yeah, energy excitement, but also intensity around what's ahead of you. Uh, now that you have more expectations, uh, now that you're expected to do, to go even bigger, even better, et cetera. And so, yeah, doing that for almost two years was was an incredible part of this uh, this path I've been on.
0: That's great. And we'll get to Instagram next, but you brought up something that I think is important to talk about right now is you took some time off, right? And so a lot of people are scared to do that, but everybody's life is different. Everybody has a different path, right? And you, as someone in a leadership role, like when you see that on someone's resume, and I'm kind of like putting you on the spot a little bit, but is that a red flag? That's kind of the myth out there nowadays, or is that something that's situationally based? And you know, you talk to a candidate, and you kind of understand why they went through what they did.
1: I'd be I'd be a hypocrite if I if I looked at that on someone's resume and viewed it as as a flag versus an opportunity to, to learn some learn more about someone's story. And so uh, I, I don't hold it against anybody, having gone through my own sort of process uh, as well. But yeah, it was definitely a hard choice to, have to make because I was fully invested emotionally, physically, mentally at the job at Whistle and giving two years of my life to that company, but also New York City uh, where I lived uh, for I lived for the first time. And really my decision to take a step away was was rooted in one, the sense that I'd accomplished the things that i had set out to accomplish when I left YouTube and joined Whistle. And I was very specific about what those things were in terms of building a team from, from scratch, essentially, um, seeing a part of my business through to a certain point uh, and acquiring some of the skills that I've been looking to acquire. And so feeling accomplished, also feeling like I was running myself into the ground. And the irony of me saying that out loud is that I actually wasn't the person who, who, who identified that. It was actually my mother who, on a phone call, you know, not having seen her in a couple of months, just just sensed and said that I wasn't as happy as I was before. And you sort of hear a comment like that and you take pause. And when it's coming from your mom, you sort of are, are uh, obligated to, to think about it and listen. And, and realizing that, um, that yeah, maybe I, I had, I don't say nothing left to give, but I'd given so much that I needed to take a step back and think about what was really important in my life. And so gave Whistle three months notice so we could properly transition my role. And then left New York City and headed down to uh, to Virginia to be near my family for almost a year.
0: Nice. No, thanks for sharing that. I, I think it's important to, uh, you know, talk about, and it's good for listeners to understand that things happen in life, and you got to do what's best for you and your family, and and that's good. I'm glad it worked yeah. out. So
1: I, everyone's circumstance is different, and for me, you know, in addition to needing to, to just take care, take better care of myself, you know, my mother had been sick a couple of times, and. And my nephews and are down in this area and in the DC area. And so putting a lot of things in perspective to give this audience and you some even more perspective about me, I was the kind of guy who, you know, early in my career, if that's what you want to call it as a career, like early in my life uh, as, a, as a working adult would look at the people who would quit their jobs after a year or two years and be totally dumbfounded and mystified. Like the idea of leaving something for nothing yeah. Never crossed my mind until literally the month I decided to do it. And so uh, I, you know, I'm glad I woke up a little bit and also recognized that maybe other people had it figured out too of just being more self aware because I definitely was not for a long time.
0: Yeah. I, I wonder if it's an Indian thing too, right? Like, I, I, sometimes we're just like, that's how we're like raised. And then we see our parents working so hard and we have that kind of like in our DNA where we're just like, we do everything like 110%. We want everything to go really well and everything has to be perfect sometimes. Right. Again, this is a generalization, right. But, you know, I I wonder if that was a little bit just in your mindset until it clicked and you realized that you needed to do something about it.
1: It it is absolutely part of the culture that you and I were raised in. And, and I think part of the reason why I probably even struggled to come to this conclusion for um, for a while is because culturally, just generally it being unacceptable to a degree and and unheard of, at the very least unheard of, right? And yeah. so that that weighs on you. and it's funny because my older brother, who will never listen to this podcast because he <laughs> doesn't know what I do, let alone let alone gives a shit. but he uh, and I say that lovingly. But when I was home that year and spending more time with his kids and him his wife and enjoy my life you know he would make sarcastic remarks he made sarcastic remarks for months about sort of like hey look at this guy's you know just being a bum essentially until one day I called him out and I said what's your problem with me taking time that's not like it's hurting your career right yeah. uh so so we sort of had to call him out on it but it was I don't know if I ever truly found peace in that kind of decision until it was my mother actually and my twin brother who acknowledged again, sort of where my headspace was at or where I was mentally and physically and sort of honestly getting their permission, but hearing your family members say that this is actually something that feels like the right thing to do is, is validation that I, that I'm sure I needed.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And so jump it back in, man, talking about culture, culturally acceptable, working in sports for Indians is not a common theme, right? And I feel like, again, it's, it's changing. It's a changing landscape, but when we were growing up, like, I feel like most of the people that we probably know are like doctors, lawyers, engineers, they're entrepreneurs setting their ways, right? So, you know, let's talk about Instagram a little bit. So you were at Complex, you were there for almost two years, you were liking your job, you did a great job there. How did the Instagram opportunity come along and, you know, walk me through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, it was 2018, sometime in the spring, when and it just sort of shows you how, I don't want to say how intimate this industry is, but I reached out to you by uh, someone I considered a friend in the industry who had previously worked at Octagon, which is an agency that actually was, is based five minutes from where I'm originally from, yeah. uh, and he had reached out to me. He had, he was on Instagram Sports, and he he pinged me, and we met up for dinner in New York, and said, Hey, so uh, the job that I report into head of sports is, is being vacated. Are you interested in throwing your hat in the ring? And I said, yes, certainly. Um, Obviously I've worked in the industry of sports. I'm a sports fan and I've also worked at a tech company. So a lot of things were adding up in my head. And so uh, we talked again, I formally uh, put my hat in the ring for this role and and months later, in uh, a very long process later, uh, they offer me this position. And so I've been in this role since August of 2018. And it's been, you know, everything I've wanted it to be and more, but it's, you know, kind of crazy that uh, that a friend of mine in the industry who I met when I was at YouTube, I believe, or maybe at Whistle, um, who just staying connected to ended up referring me to be his manager, uh, which again is, is wild and, and wouldn't, wouldn't have imagined whatever happened, but, uh, but it's been, it's been a great and very fast, almost three years.
0: No, that's great. And that's the power of just building real true relationships, right? I feel like nowadays it's very transactional on the internet, especially. And so it's, that's a great story, man, just in its own, like a buddy of yours, not only recommending you for a gig, but like to be his boss. I think that's a pretty awesome story. Um, when you're talking about Instagram, I have to point this out and I have to ask you a question because I've been dying to ask you this question, dude. How many messages do you get daily across platforms that ask for help to become verified on Instagram? You know this because I hit you up, but there was somebody that reached out to me from like Africa or Asia one day trying to get in touch with you so that they can become verified. So I have to put you on the spot. How (laughs) many messages a day do you get for that?
1: Dozen dozens wouldn't be unrealistic. And maybe if I had an even bigger, you know, sort of profile on social media, you know, that number would continue to climb. But it's crazy how creative and how persistent people are to try to get the blue check mark or to get an account, you know, re-enabled if it's been disabled. And hats off to people who are getting creative and maybe even making some progress because it must be a grind. But yeah, on, on LinkedIn, on on Instagram, on Twitter, et cetera. And you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for anyone who's listening uh, and starting to craft their message to me on LinkedIn. But uh, but unfortunately, I can't get you verified. It's if I had that lever, if I had that, that tool, my toolkit, I'd be the most popular guy i ever worked at Instagram. So um, unfortunately, I, I cannot do that for you. Can't even do it for myself. So you're in good company. I promise you that.
0: That's what I was going to say. You actually are not verified yourself on Instagram. Now, I, you don't have to tell me the truth, but you. I, I was thinking there's a strat, strategic move where you're like, I'm trying to stay low key and <laughs> not, not get hit up. But no, that that's awesome, man. And I'm sure it's annoying, but you deal with it better than a lot of people that I know, especially at some other platforms. But yeah. talking, about, talking about your job, man, what are some of your Some of your day-to-day things that you do as head of sports at Instagram, what are a couple of moments that you're most proud of when you're looking back at the last three years?
1: In terms of the job, I mean, it it differs truly every day. It's almost easier for me to read my calendar to illustrate what I do than it is to try and describe it. But at its core, we do try to be – advocates on behalf of the sports industry within the walls of Instagram, whether you're an athlete, a team, a league, a media partner, et cetera. um, How do we advocate for your interests and represent you well within this this big tech company? And then also how do we drive the interests and uh, and objectives of of Instagram, which by and large are being relevant to youth audiences, supporting creators in self-expression and helping individuals and organizations build businesses on our platform. And so uh, you know, in terms of the job, again, it can totally vary. Today, uh, it's, you know, having a meeting with a colleague at the NCAA to talk about how we're supporting student-athletes through name, image, and likeness. The yeah. other day, it's working with a broadcaster on a geogating tool that will allow them to distribute premium territory-specific highlights for the Olympics. So it really varies uh, and keeps me on my toes. Uh, and it probably keeps me up later at night than, than is healthy for me, but, uh, but it's all part of the job, I guess.
0: Yeah, I saw the NIL uh, partnership class that you guys did with Front Office Sports. That was pretty awesome. The, how you you do several initiatives? You just brought it up, but over your last three years there, is there anything that kind of sticks out, or you know, is everything a blur? Or is there something you're very proud of?
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm going to cheat on this question and just talk about some of the most recent things uh, because three years feels like a lifetime. I'm sure. to, you, to you and me, you as, as a professional and as a father, me as a professional who can barely take care of himself. But, uh, you know, the NIL stuff, I'm really proud of of us in the way in which the ways in which we are enabling student athletes, but also the the organizations and institutions and individuals in the ecosystem of student athletes to better support them on this journey of monetizing. Their name, image, likeness, and building their brands on social media, and and also being safe on our platform. So that absolutely stands out. And then the Olympics and Paralympics, it truly is a labor of love for everyone who's involved at platforms. I'm sure at the IOC. But again, just working with the ecosystem around the Summer Games, and really, you know, persevering over what has been a sort of a back and forth and back and forth of COVID and all the challenges that that presented. And and how do we again support? the athletes who are going and trying to to compete and qualify for the Olympics and Paralympics. How do we work with the broadcasters? Like I mentioned before, and how do we work with the IOC, which for the first time will not be able to share its product in person with anybody. Right. And so, uh, and so, yeah, it's been an experience unlike any other. And I was talking to somebody else the other day. It's the the biggest cross-functional effort I've ever endeavored in my entire career. And so uh, and, and probably the longest too, given this thing was supposed to have happened a year ago. So, yeah, uh, so long, long time come, but just really proud of how it all has come together, and and hopefully can sit back a little bit and actually enjoy watching the stuff on TV as opposed to uh, working on it all
0: day. <laughs> no, that, that's what I was gonna say, man. You gotta enjoy some of the the hard work that you've put in over literally the last year and a half now because of everything that's gone on. So. Thank you for sharing your story. I always love to ask my guests two questions before they sign off. First things first, like looking back at your entire journey, is there anything you can think of like a smaller or huge victory in your life that helped you get to where you are today?
1: I've had so many small interactions that have ended up being life-changing in, my, in t- during my entire life, frankly. And I it would take me a long time to, to share all of them. But I think I'm sort of just most proud that that it's because of the relationships that I have that are so meaningful to me that I've been able to, to participate in this industry and, and gain some really new and unique opportunities. So, you know, with uh, with my team member who is a friend who we were industry colleagues for, for a time, you know, that unlocked, uh, unbeknownst to me, unlocked the door I didn't even know existed. Even before when I actually, when I left Google to join the YouTube side of things, it was a friend who shared with me a role that she thought I'd be good for, ended up going and taking that job. And when I left YouTube, it was uh, one of my best friends who had left YouTube as well to, to, to to join that startup and who wanted me to be her partner in crime and her, her uh, you know, with her in the trenches to build that business. And, uh, and it was a, it was a colleague, right. And it was, it was an organic thing that just happened because, uh, I feel like I have these great relationships to, with great people and they I've been lucky that they've seen enough in me to, uh, to think of me in some of these moments and times. And I'm lucky that I didn't have to go seek out a number of these things um, because again, whether it's my friends or those I've worked with who have just, again, thought enough of me to think, hey, I want to be with that person. I want to work with that person. Um, that person will be the right thing for something. And so I'm just, if I'm proud of anything, it's just, I don't know being a pretty decent human being to the point where that is even a possibility.
0: That's great. And it's an, it's an important point nowadays, especially man with everything going on in the world, it's important to be a good human being. It's surprising that not a lot of people have empathy and not everyone thinks like that, but, but that's great. Now, one piece of advice that you can give some of our listeners are, you know, younger people trying to get into the sports business industry trying to get a job in sports, it's tough, right? It's a grind. Any advice that you can give someone that's trying to, you know, either get into the industry or, or get a leadership role? I know they're two completely different trains of thoughts, but I'll just uh, let you kind of answer that in your own terms.
1: Yeah, I, I have no wisdom to impart, unfortunately. Um, that's I have none to give. I only have these observations I've made based on my own experiences, right? And there's two that are applicable to me in my life. And so I, I think they're lessons, maybe, if that's what you want to call them. But one is I, my my journey into sports was through a side door, like I mentioned earlier. So but still learning a ton in a position that I was in and being open-minded about the things that uh, the job experiences that may not be the job I wanted but might provide an opportunities uh, abilities to learn abilities to build skills that could ultimately end up uh, help me end up where I where I want to be I mean again leaving sports uh, in my last job but embracing all I could learn at a new opportunity that I think that best illustrates what I'm talking about and just being open-minded about that you can learn something in any job that could be applicable to to uh, something you want to do in in, in the future and, and within the world of sports or otherwise. Um, but again, not wisdom. That's, that's me preaching what I, uh, what, what truly happened to me. The second is, and I mentioned that story a few minutes ago, but don't focus on, and this is for the probably the younger listeners, don't focus on networking with people uh, just who are above you in the positions that you want or who you want to work for. Take the time to get to know the people around you, your peers, your colleagues, because one, you all are the future of all of these industries. But two, these are the very people who will most likely be unlocking doors for you and thinking about you and working with you. And so, again, in my life, I've only had a number of experiences, but two of those doors were open because of peers who I worked with, who I either worked for or one who was working for me, right? That's, I don't know, again, a better illustration of that. It had nothing to do with me networking with uh with a ceo or with the head of a network that had nothing to do with it. i'm not saying don't do those things but yeah. but get to know the people around you the people that that can that can teach you something even if they're at your same level
0: definitely those are great lessons man and again that's what's cool about asking every guest these two questions is just everyone has their own answers through their own experiences right and that's what makes us and It's been fun talking to you, man. I'm glad uh, we we connected. I appreciate you jumping on. I know how busy you are. So thanks for your time today for jumping on.
1: Yeah, when you need someone to turn the mic on to you so that the audience can hear your unique story, then let me know, because I'm happy to play the the role (laughs) of host at some point, man. And uh, I really appreciate it.
0: My thanks again to Dave for joining me today. He's had an amazing journey, which was fun to talk to him about, and he's doing some great work at Instagram. So be sure to give him a follow and check out the new initiatives they have cooking up right now. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to give us a like or a follow and share the word with your friends. Every single share counts. Last but not least, you can follow my work at DocSquad33 on Twitter or VicChoxy33 on Instagram. Thank you as always for listening. I'll see you next time on Victory Lap.